After Jesus was crucified and resurrected, he began the New Testament church. After he arose, he gave to the church some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's in Ephesians chapter 4. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the work of the ministry in the New Testament church. It is very difficult to be a prophet, to do the work of a prophet, but God equips us when he calls us and sustains us and restores us after the various attacks that come through the church people to whom we have to deliver the messages of God. For prophets are sent to the church. They weren't sent to the world. The Old Testament prophets were sent to the children of Israel. The New Testament prophets are sent to the church. God sends us to the church to warn the church. God warns us through the Bible in Ezekiel that even though they will not hear us very often, they won't hear us, he still wants us to go and speak to them. And if we don't speak to them and warn them, and they die in their sins, their blood is upon us. I ask God if that applies to New Testament, and I was reminded of the Apostle Paul. In Acts 20, he gathered the elders together and he told them, I'm not accountable for your blood because I have delivered to you all the counsel of God. So I saw that the instructions in Ezekiel for a prophet pertain to the New Testament prophets today and that if we do not deliver all of the counsel of God to that individual, we are accountable for their blood if they die in their sins without warning. Now we're going to look at an example of what a prophet does, of how they most often react to a prophet. It is in First Samuel Chapter 15, God sent Samuel to the king of the children of Israel, Saul, to give him an instruction. We will see in this section of scripture that Saul did not carry out the full instruction. He only did part of it. But Saul deceived himself into thinking he fulfilled all the instruction. God was very unhappy and removed Saul from being king of Israel because of this. Saul argued with Samuel the prophet, saying that I did do everything. I did the commandments of the Lord. But God told Samuel the prophet that Saul did not do the commandments of the Lord. So we see this struggle, this controversy. This happens all the time. You take a word to a person 
and the person says, well, or it could be this. I've had them do this. I've had them argue about the word I carried to them. I've had them misuse the word that I've carried to them. I've had them do a part of the word I've carried to them. I've had them say that they will do it sometimes as if it's an option. When I'm carrying to them the word from God as a prophet. So I know prophets today go through exactly the same thing that the Old Testament prophets went to. But this is an example for you of what happens. 1 Samuel 15, verse 1, Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Samuel's going to give an instruction to Saul. Verse 2, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalekite, Amalek, who was an Amalekite, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Am Amalek and utter destroy all that they have and spare them not but slay both man and woman infant and suckling ox and sheep camel and ass and Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telaim 200,000 footmen 10,000 men of Judah and Saul came to a city of Amalek and laid wait in the valley. And Saul said to the Canaanites, Go, depart, get you down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Canaanites departed from among the Amaleks. And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havagah unto thou comest to Shur, that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. He didn't kill him. And utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. God did not tell Saul to keep Agag alive. But he did. He varied from the word of God. Now here's where Saul gets in terrible trouble. He did part of the word of God, but he didn't do all of the word of God. We have to do every word that God gives us. We have to meditate on it. We have to walk in that word as to the fullest of our ability. We have to draw every drop of blood out of that word living in that instruction. Saul did not do this. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep 
They didn't destroy all the livestock. They kept the best alive. And that was opposite to the word God gave them. When you go in a way opposite to the word, you become anti-Christ, opposite to Christ the word. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen and of the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and ref refuse, they destroyed utterly. God told Saul to destroy all. Saul kept the best of the livestock alive. While Saul has gone to do this, God is watching. And God says to the prophet Samuel, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he is turned back from following me, and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. Samuel goes out to meet Saul after the battle. 1 Samuel 15, verse 12. And when Samuel arose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set him up a place, and is gone about, and passed on, and gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul. And Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. But he didn't. And Saul knows, Samuel knows this. Because God has told Samuel that Saul did not perform the commandment of the Lord. Yet Saul is saying he did it. And Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleating of the sheep in mine ears, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Because Samuel had the evidence right there in front of him in the form of the livestock, which Saul was told to kill all the livestock, and he didn't do it. He brought back the good livestock for himself. Then Saul knows that they did do wrong, but Saul blames the people instead of himself. Verse 15, Saul said, They, the people, have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. And he, Saul, said unto Samuel, Say on. And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own eyes, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go, and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord? 
but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord. Saul is going to fight against Samuel now. Verse 20, Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and I have gone the way which the Lord hath sent me. I've had that happen so many times. You tell them something, and they said, But I did that, but they didn't do that. Or you tell them something they said, which was wrong, and they say, But I didn't say that, but they did say that. Oh, that happens constantly when you are a prophet and take a message to a wrongdoer in the church. Let's go over that again. Verse 20. Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. But the sheep are right there as evidence that he didn't obey what God told him. And Saul says unto Samuel, And I have gone the way which the Lord sent me. And I have brought Agag, the king of Amalekite. He brought him back. He was supposed to destroy Agag, but he kept him alive. See, we are sent out by God to do what God says. We don't add our own ideas to the instruction. We do the instruction. But that's not what Saul did. He did part of the instruction, and then he added his own things to the instruction. Eve did exactly the same thing when the serpent serpent tempted her in Genesis 3. The serpent came to Eve and said, Has God said you cannot eat of the tree of the fruit of the garden? And she said, Of all the all the trees of the fruit of the garden. And Eve said, oh, We can eat of the trees, we just can't eat of the tree in the midst of the garden. Neither can we touch it. God did not say that. He didn't say, neither can we touch it. That was a good idea added by Eve. So adding these things to the word of God is a great sin. Adding your own ideas to the word of God is a very great sin. There was a non-denominational pastor I went to uh, his church trying to find a church to attend, and he was teaching about Sarah and Hagar. And he said, and Sarah and Hagar were half-sisters. Well, I didn't know that. So I went back to the Old Testament and read everything about it, and it doesn't say that at all. I called him the next day and said, I... I can't find that in the Bible where Sarah and Hagar are half-sisters. Could you please tell me where it is in the Bible? And he was dead silence for a second or two, and then he said, Well, I, I can't remember where it is. I said, Well, would you please look it up and tell your secretary and have her call me and tell me where it is because it's very important for me to know this. There was a silence for a second and then he screamed out at me over the phone saying, all right, it's not in the Bible. There was no repentance at all of any kind in this man, no sorrow for adding to the word of God. It is very important to identify such things because when we see this, 
We know that man is anti-Christ, opposite from Christ, and we know to avoid him and his whole church. Don't go there, which of course I didn't. I didn't go back. But this shows us Antichrist. When a person in the congregation does not care about the word of God, this shows us Antichrist. When they don't care about small details of the Bible, this shows us Antichrist. Stay away from them. One time I visited my favorite aunt, a Church of Christ member, and as I talked with her, I mentioned Psalm 103 and something in Psalm 103. I got up in a few minutes and went to the bathroom, and as I came out of the bathroom, she was standing in her bedroom at, the, at her dressing table looking down at a Bible, I'm sure looking at Psalm 103. She cared about it. She really cared. That's a Christian. They care about the Word of God. I dated a man one time. Well, I actually was planning to marry him. He said he was a Christian. He attended a Methodist church. The subject of Pharaoh and the Red Sea came up. And I mentioned that Pharaoh and his men drowned in the Red Sea. And Howard said, no, no, Pharaoh didn't drown in the Red Sea. He was on the banks watching it when the men drowned. He said, I saw that in, in the movie, The Ten Commandments. Don't, we don't get our spiritual information from movies or even from preachers at church. What we do is we hear the Word of God and we take the Bible and read it for ourselves. And there is a passage of Scripture in Acts 17 that says the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians because they heard Paul preach the Word of God. And then they went away and checked the Scriptures to see if what Paul spoke was true. And therefore, many of them believed because what Paul was speaking was true. Well, do the same thing at church. If you hear someone speak a scripture, jot it down. When you get home, read it for yourself and establish the truth. Whether it's me or whether it's another person, establish the truth for yourself. That's very important. Now let's continue with this story of how Samuel ha handled things. So Samuel said to, uh, how Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord when he had not. He only did part of it. Saul says, but the people took the spoil. I didn't do it. They did it. He's the king. He's the king. He's responsible for what the people do. But the people took the spoil, the sheep and the oxen, the chief of the things, which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. They're going to do a good work. They're not going to obey God. They're going to do a good work. Samuel the prophet responds in verse 22. Hath the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? What they had done is they took the best of the sheep and the oxen and the cows 
and destroy the others. And then they come up with the idea they're going to sacrifice it to God. Well, which does God prefer? That you sacrifice to him or obey him? And Samuel answers this question. He says, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. That's what we are called to do, is obey the word of God. We don't explain it away. We obey it. And Samuel says, For the rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, God hath also rejected thee from being king. Now, if we reject the word of the Lord today, what's going to happen to us? You think that God is going to accept us when we cast aside scripture? It's Antichrist who cast aside scripture and goes another way. No, we will not be accepted by God in the day of judgment when we have disobeyed specific scriptures today, such as the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. As a man who marries a divorced woman, you might not have known that at the time. If you didn't know it at the time, then you learn it later well, you simply, you're sorry that you did it. You tell other people not to do this. So you're freed from the blood of Jesus Christ the Word, meaning you are not going to pay that penalty at the Day of Judgment when you agree with the Word of God. We've had most cases that have come across our path have been the opposite, though, it's been men who have been warned. We warn them. If you marry a divorced woman, you commit adultery. Matthew chapter 5, verse 32 is what Jesus said. We warn them. They go out and marry anyway. They'll pay a penalty at the day of judgment for disobeying the word of God. But their blood is not on our hands. If we fail to warn them, their blood is on our hands. So that's what prophets do all the time. So let's look again at what Samuel says to Saul. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. I have run into people all the time who are stubborn against the scriptures. They're not going to do them. I've had people say to me, I know the Bible says that, but I don't care. And yet they call themselves a Christian and attend church. Well, they're antichrist. Though they call themselves a Christian, though they even think themselves to be a Christian, when they cast aside scripture, they're antichrist. But we as prophets warn them, regardless. Samuel says to Saul, Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, God hath also rejected thee from being king. And God is going to set up David to take the place of Saul as king over the children of Israel. 
Saul now seems to see his sin, but God won't take Saul back. And God chooses David to replace Saul. 1 Samuel 15, verse 24, And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned. Finally, he says, I have sinned. For I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, I pray thee, pardon my sin, and turn again with me, that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. And the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. God's not going to change his mind. And Samuel turned about to go away. He held, laid hold upon the skirt of his mantle and rent it. And Samuel said unto him, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. The neighbor was, was David. And also the strength of Israel, the strength of God, will not lie or repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. Then said Samuel, Bring ye hither to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came unto Samuel delicately, and Agag said to himself, Surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel said to Agag, As thy sword hath made women childless, so shall thy mother be childless among women. And Samuel hewed Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Samuel did Saul's job. Then went Samuel to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house to Gibeah. And Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul. Oh, it grieves me so much when I carry a message to someone and that person cast away the message thinking it is not important to do it. I have that happen all the time, over and over and over. And there is a deep grief involved for that person. Just like Saul grieved, Samuel grieved for Saul, there's a deep grief involved when they do that. For them, the grief for them, the grief for the rejection of the Word of God, I have to turn to God each time and depend on Him to give me something to restore me that I won't be swept away when I see them reject the Word of God. And God always brings something to restore me. Psalm 23, David said, He restores my soul. God restores us after we go through the grief of seeing the word of God rejected. And the Lord said unto Samuel, 
How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? How long will I mourn over this person who has rejected that word of God that I carried to her? How long will I mourn over that minister that would not repent over misusing the word of God and adding things to the Bible? How long will I mourn over him, God is saying. And God gave Samuel the prophet another assignment to go and anoint the son of Jesse, David, for he, God says, for I have provided me a king among his sons. God has a way to heal our grief when we see them reject the word of God. We simply have to fall down before God in grief and ask him to restore our joy. And he will. He always does after we carry a message to them and see them reject the message. Now I will give you some real-life examples that I've gone through, a few, so you can see the same parallel that we see in the Bible. Prophets are sent to the church to warn them, to deliver messages to them from God. We had a woman in our church group who said that God had told her now is the time to get a dog. I rejoiced over this because she had no family and this would give her something to enjoy and take care of. But in the message, she disobeyed the message from the beginning because this message was received by her in approximately the month of November of a year. She told me the message in January or February. By March or April, she still hadn't gotten the dog. Now, the message she said she heard from God is, now is the time to get a dog. She didn't do it then. She kept trying to find the perfect dog. This is one of her problems, one of her downfalls, is she always had to try to per find the perfect thing. She didn't just pray and follow God. Anyway, she finally bought a dog about six months after she heard, now is the time to get a dog. And she told me about it. And the dog was being delivered to her the man was flying in to Lubbock, Texas, where we lived at that time, and he was bringing her the dog, and he was to arrive at midnight. I was very troubled about this because this woman got lost in broad daylight trying to drive around Lubbock. Now she's going to have to go out at midnight to the airport, which is about 10, 15 miles north of Lubbock, out in the country, to pick up a dog. I was really concerned about this. So I turned to God and God brought me a very simple, safe plan for this woman. Hire 
what we would call a limousine to take you out to the airport to pick up the dog. I was so comforted by this concept. It only cost about $30 to hire the car in Lubbock to take her out to the airport. It would be wonderful because the limousine, the car driver, would pick her up at her house, take her out to the airport, wait for her in front of the terminal. She didn't have to park the car off into the pay-by-day parking. She would have someone right there with her at the terminal at midnight. So she was happy over it when I gave her the message. A few days later, she said, well, I have hired the, the car to take me to the air. To, I've hired the car. But what I did is, I can go pick up the dog. That's okay. I hired the car to go to the hotel the next day to pick up the man to take him back to the airport. I was livid. I was absolutely furious. Here, she had a plan from God, and she perverted it. That's like perverting a word from God. I really, I said, oh, this is terrible. This is an adult-aged man who can take care of himself. He, his business is to deliver animals to people. He has gone all over the United States and has done this. He's totally capable of getting from the hotel back to the airport the next day. The hotel probably even has limousine service to the airport. And you have hired a car to pick up this man to take him back to the airport? And you're going to go out there in the middle of the night and take all these risks of getting lost out there in the country and driving around in the middle of the night and then having to park in a pay parking place and walk to the terminal in the middle of the night? When you have a plan from God and you turned it and changed it? Well, she did finally do what the instruction from God was on the matter. But there should never have been any trouble over this. This woman is not with us today. She was finally swept away. Obeying the word of God, whether it's a scripture or an instruction, when a prophet brings you the word, Obeying the word. When you know that person's a prophet and they're carrying a word from God, you don't change it. You do it. Now, I'm, I'm a prophet myself and, a, and, and an apostle. I have two offices. Back in the 1970s, after I was born again, I knew I was called to be a prophet. I knew that I was going to be doing church work, but I owned a business at that time. A man from our church who identified himself as a prophet came to see me one day at my business. And he said, Joan, you're dragging your feet. You know you're supposed to be in the ministry, but you're still here at this business. You're dragging your feet. I didn't hear that from God, but I respected the fact that a prophet of God was delivering me a message of God, and I did the message. I closed my business 
shortly after that to go into the ministry. I didn't have any church to go to who was going to pay me a salary. I lived off of the money that I got when I sold the merchandise when I closed the business. I closed the business on July 31st of 1979. For six months, I just stayed at my apartment and read the Bible, and I paid my bills from the money that I had earned from the merchandise that sold. I didn't know what I was going to do. But on January the 10th, 1980, six months after I received, after I closed my business, in the night, God spoke to me three words as I slept. Hartford, Seattle, KWJS, and by those three words put me on radio to exhort the church. That was the way God was sending me, was radio. You don't change a message when you believe the person is a prophet and carries you a message. You just don't do it. You don't have to hear the message yourself. If it's reasonable, you do it. And if you doubt it, pray. Ask God. He'll confirm it. There was a woman in our church group named Barbara. She would frequently have word of knowledge on a subject, but she didn't share it with us. And the way I knew she had it is when I spoke it about the subject, she'd say, I thought of that, but she didn't share it. Over and over and over through the years, I would bring it to her attention when you have a word of knowledge, you need to share it with our church group. But she would rarely do that. She was with us 39 years, and I told her this all the time when I saw she had that word, but she didn't share it. I would say, you should have shared that word. Finally, she just exploded against me. And she said, it's like you've been throwing rocks at me all these years. I was trying to get her to do the word of God. When you have a word of knowledge about something, it's your responsibility to share that word of knowledge with the appropriate people. If you fail to share it and they go the wrong way, their blood is on your hands. Well, she's no longer with us. Now, often a person will say this to me when I have delivered a word to them, especially a word of correction. I may deliver a word of correcting them about what they said. They will say to me, I didn't say that. But they did say that. And sometimes I have proof they said it. Another problem is you, they think they need one thing when God shows me they need something entirely different. A woman sent me an email a few months ago and she told me a whole bunch of problems she was having. And she asked me if I would do a teaching on forgiveness. 
But God said to me, what she needs to do is diligently pray over each of her problems. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. In everything, by prayer and supp- be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, make your requests known unto God. That's what she needed to do with thanksgiving. Make your requests known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, the Word. But she wasn't doing that. She just let her troubles pile up on her. The devil, no doubt, would bring thoughts to her of things she'd done way back in the past. And she just let those thoughts pile up on her instead of turning to God in prayer. And then she dumped all of her stuff on me. Well, if it wasn't me, it'd be somebody else she would have dumped on. But what she should have done was Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. But what she thought she needed was to know more about forgiveness. That was not even what she needed. So I told her this. I gave her Philippians 4, 6 and 7 and told her to do this. And she wrote back something to me by email saying, indicating, well, she would do this sometimes. She didn't realize this is for your very life. This is your life to do this. Major in this. Keep it before you day and night. Keep these scriptures before you day and night. Pray. Don't fail to pray over all of your concerns. If necessary, keep a notebook and put in there what your concern is. And be sure you've prayed over it. And then when God gives you an answer to your concern, stand on that word. Focus on that word. Do that word. She said she would do it sometimes. Something like that. She, in an offhand way, indicated that to me. I I was deeply grieved over this. And then I heard this over the whole situation. Let him that hath ears to hear, hear. That's in Matthew eleven fifteen. So I have to do this is give the word. And then if they have an ear to hear the word, they have to do it. But if they don't have an ear to hear the word, basically there's nothing I can do. And I have to commit myself to God for him to heal me of the grief I feel over the situation, which is what I did. A man wrote to me, and he seemed humble in his email. He is was from another country, um, I think an oriental country. And he said he had looked at a scripture in Matthew such and such, and he he wanted me to help him to understand that, what that scripture meant. Well, I happen to have had some understanding on the subject, so I shared with him what God had shown me about the subject. He responded to me and said, yes, but it could be this, or it could be that. Or, and I just quit reading his email. And I said to him, you are unclean. I presented the word of God to him as a prophet, and he just threw it out as if it were nothing. He's unclean and evil. And I told him that. I got another email back from him, and I didn't even read it. 
He started off with some scripture in Timothy. I didn't even read the scripture. I just said to him, you are unclean and evil. I'm not reading your emails. I did not read the email, the last email you sent, and I will not read emails from you in the future. Sometimes you just have to take harsh action and walk away from them and let them get there if they can. They have the word, and if they can get there with God, fine. And if not, their blood is not on your hands. But you see, they will pull you down. If you are called to be a prophet and you keep telling them over and over and over the same message and they won't do it, they will destroy you with them. You've told them the word of God. Turn and just walk away. You can't continue to be around that person. It takes a long time sometimes to learn to walk away from them. It took me a long time to learn this. I do it now. I give them the message. If they demonstrate they will not hear the message, I do just walk away from them. Sometimes after I deliver a message to them, they will say, let me clarify this. You just don't understand what I was saying. Yes, I understand what they were saying, and God showed me what to tell them. They're trying to explain it away. I walk away from them. It's very grieving, though. A Jewish woman came across my path while we were trying to sell the house in Texas in the year 2020. She is a realtor. She identified herself as a Messianic Jew. She said they believe in Jesus. Then she went on to tell Pam Paget that she had just, she's a divorced woman, and she said she had just met a man that she was interested in. Pam warned her, if you marry him, you will commit adultery. Pam gave her the scriptures. The woman said the most astounding thing. She said, oh, we have our own doctrine. We don't follow the Bible. I just screamed it out at Pam. I said, what do you mean they follow their own doctrine? There is no doctrine but the Bible. That is the doctrine. And then I realized so many churches do this. They have their own doctrine. So people think, we follow our doctrine. And if you present the word of God to them, they don't even consider it because they follow their doctrine at their church. Well, it's the same scripture where Jesus said to them, I believe it's Mark 7, where Jesus says, you have your own traditions. Yea, well, you reject the word of God, the scriptures, that you may follow your traditions. They reject the word of God, that they can follow the doctrines of their church. Their doctrines are antichrist when they're opposite to the Bible. If you can't follow a scripture because your church has another doctrine, if you can't follow a scripture from the New Testament Bible because your church has another doctrine, you are in an antichrist church. You just have to leave these people alone. And there are countless thousands of them that do this. You hardly ever find anyone today who will 
follow a scripture. They will go along with the other doctrine that's in their church. You can't be a part of it. The very first church I went to when I was a new Christian in 1975, they were teaching tongues are of the devil. I, as a new Christian, was reading the New Testament. And one day I read a scripture in 1 Corinthians 14, which says, forbid not to speak in tongues. They were forbidding it at the church I was attending. They were doing the opposite to the scripture. At that time, I didn't know it was Antichrist, but I could see clearly the church I was attending were teaching a doctrine opposite from what the Bible says. I chose the Bible. I never went back to that church after I saw what the Bible said. So when you come across a doctrine opposite to the Bible, you have to choose the Bible. Otherwise, you cast aside Jesus, who is the Word, in order to stay in a church. Prophets of God warn the church, and often the warnings are concerning their own preachers, who are often extortioners, taking money by force, causing the congregation to feel guilty if they don't give money, or even bringing a hint of threat to the congregation that God will not bless them unless they give the money. That's extortion. That's twisting your congregation, extorting money from the church. When we run across extortioners in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul says if they call themselves a brother in Christ and they are an extortioner, you must not keep company with such a man. You must walk away from him. A great many preachers today are extortioners. They have gotten themselves involved in lots of radio and lots of television, and they ring the church to get the money. They ring it out of them through extortion, mainly through teaching them if they don't give, then they will not be blessed by God. Now, nobody ever had to extort money out of me, although our preacher did try to do that at Word of Faith. He's no longer preaching today, but he did try to do that. But he didn't have to do that with me because I was so grateful to be born again, so grateful to God that I usually gave twice what I planned to give. If I felt I was going to give $20, I'd usually give $40. I was so grateful, though he was an extortioner. It was Robert Tilton. He ended up getting $80 million a year in offerings by asking people to send him their prayer request. $80 million a year. He was finally exposed by ABC Primetime Live. And the year he was exposed, which it was put on television for all to see, the offerings dropped from $80 million a year to $2 million a year, which is still fantastic. It's fantastic. We have offerings of about $1,200 a month. 
We only have five people who give offerings to this ministry. A great many of them have died, of, have just grew old and died. And many walked away, and five are left. But it's no problem, because God worked out a way for me to have money. And the 1200 that we have in offerings pays for our ex current expenses. Because we have no expenses involved in doing the blog, which God told me to write. We have no expenses involved in podcasts. Well, we have $100 a year, which is nothing. But we do get to do all these broadcasts for $100 a year with our podcast host. So that's nothing to pay for. I write books on Amazon, and that costs nothing. So basically, there's no expense. Personally, I live off my Social Security check, and I only... I, I, Pam Paget doesn't want any money for me to live at her house where I now live, but I insist on paying her $575 a month for the rent of my room because that's fair. That's right to do. And many times I've given Pam the check and she wouldn't cash it, and I would have to say later, cash that check. And finally I've gotten her to do that. But... We have enough money. I don't have to extort money from you. You don't even hear me ask you for an offering. We have money. God had me build an apartment in 1985. It was $45,000, and I had inherited $50,000 from my father, from my dad, rather. And so I had money to pay for the apartment, and it was built on a lot which my mother and dad owned. Along the way, I bought a lot on the golf course in the little town I was living in and paid cash for that. And then at one point, I moved my mother. I bought a, I built a house there on my lot on the golf course in Clovis, New Mexico. And it cost 100000 to build a house, but I owned a lot. I sold the the other property and put that into paying for the house and my, used my mother's money, paid cash for the house. In 10 years' time, my mother died and I moved to Lubbock, Texas, but I paid cash to have the house built in Lubbock, Texas. I lived there almost 20 years in Lubbock and then fell and had to have surgery and I needed help and so Pam took me into her house in Colorado Springs. But by the time I moved to Colorado Springs, I had the house sitting in Texas, which we put up for sale. And we were able to clear the money to reimburse me for the building of the house in Texas, as well as have $190,000 left over to put into the ministry. So we have money. I don't have to beg you for money. I don't have to threaten you as these preachers are doing today. I don't have to do the things to extort money out of you and trick you into giving money and make you feel bad. You can give it if you want to. I don't care. It's up to you and God. But I wouldn't be giving it to that extortioner, I can tell you for sure. Now, I'm telling you, we don't need money. 
If you have to give where you need money, well, you'll have to work out something else. But you should work that out with God. You should work it out with God where to give money for offerings. I'm certainly not asking you to give money to us. If God wills it, that's fine. We have a post office box number. You can get it off of our blog. Jesus Ministries Exhortation is the name of our blog. But you see, God provides for me. The Lord is my shepherd, not you. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Abraham once said, I won't take even a shoe latchet from you, lest you should say, I will make rape. I made Abraham rich. Abraham purposed that his wealth would come from God, and I've done the same thing. It will come from God, and I have to stay free as a prophet to speak the word of God without censorship. And I've done that. For all these years, God has made a way for me to be free to speak his word, first through radio, then by writing books, Nobody censors what I write. And now by podcast, I am free to speak the word of God. If you happen to be called to an office of a prophet, you have to keep yourself free. I can't be bound up with money and worry about money. I might offend people with the word and they would leave and not give money. Oh, so many people have left me that way. Thousands, literally, literally thousands have left me over the word of God because I spoke the word of God to them. If you see a big church today, why do you think the church is big? They're being told what they want to hear. Consider, is the pastor telling them the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery? Is he telling them if the divorced woman remarries, she commits adultery? Is he telling them those things? I've never heard that preached at a church. And I know many pastors, and they, the ones I've known have all wanted to get bigger. It makes them look better when you see a whole bunch of people go to their church. Stop and consider, what are they preaching? One more story. I attended a museum dinner in Lubbock, Texas, and they had assigned seating. So I went to the table to which I was assigned. About 10 people were assigned to each table, round table. I went to my table and I was shocked. The man who was sitting next to where I would be sitting was wearing around his neck the biggest cross I've ever seen. It was a wooden cross, had to have been at least eight inches tall. I was so shocked. I sat down and he immediately identified to everyone at the table by telling them he identified himself by saying, I'm the former pastor at Indiana Street Baptist Church. And then he said, oh, we have such a problem at the church. Well, everybody looked up at him then to hear what the problem was. He said, we have so many people trying to come to our church that we can't seat all the people. 
and we've added on to the church building three times and we still don't have enough room to seat all the people. I said, well, if you would teach what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 32, that the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery, if you would teach that at your church, about half of the people would get up and leave you and you won't have any trouble seating the people. This preacher's mouth fell open. All the people of the church were electrified and I got up and fled. There was no way I was going to sit by this man through dinner. I had paid for my ticket to go to the dinner, but I didn't stay for the dinner. There's I wasn't going to sit there by this man. That's the essence of it all. If you speak the word of God, you won't have any trouble seating the people. For most of the people won't come to your church. When you tell them, oh, it's okay to be a homosexual, I see nothing wrong in that. I heard that Catholic Pope say that, and I screamed at the TV saying, what about the Bible? It's not what I think about homosexual, it's what God says in the Bible. Romans chapter 1, verse 26. God says he turned them over to vile affections. The women have sex with the women. The men have sex with the men. He said that, and he said they will receive judgment for that, that which is meat, that which is appropriate. He called it vile affections. God did. Not me. God. So you don't say, I don't see anything wrong with homosexual, as the Pope said. The Bible tells us. See, this is where all this corruption is. It's in the churches, whether they're Catholic or Protestant. It's filled with corruption where they teach things that aren't in the Bible, where they add their own thoughts to the Bible, where they deceive the people, where they go in a way totally contrary to the Bible, where they leave all these scriptures out to let the people sin because it makes them popular. When was the last time you heard your preacher speak about sin and warn you about sin? Now, why isn't this being done today? Well, we are approaching the Great Tribulation. We are re approaching the return of Jesus and the Great Tribulation that comes because of the sin. Antichrist is in the churches. Paul said it had to happen. There would be a falling away before Jesus could return. The falling away are people falling away from scriptures, churches falling away from scriptures. Antichrist would come through the churches, not through the governments of men, through the churches. Now the NASB calls that the apostasy, and apostasy is through the churches. King James calls it the falling away which is fine. They will fall away from Scripture. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And it says that when the Scripture is removed, when the falling away happens, then the way is made for Antichrist to come into the group because the Scripture is the restraint against Antichrist, which is keeping him out. 
So as long as the preacher says the man who mar marries a divorced woman commits adultery, as long as he says that, Antichrist will not come in. But the minute that is omitted and the preacher performs wedding ceremonies marrying men with divorced women, the restraint is down, the word of God is down, Antichrist moves into that church group. That's just simple. It is Second Thessalonians chapter 2, which I recommend you read in both the King James Version and the NASB, and pray. And if your heart is right with God, you will see that is what the Scripture tells you. And we avoid Antichrist at all times, whether it's through a church group and leaving a church group or whether it is an individual who will not receive the Word of God when we speak it. We withdraw from Antichrist. Withdraw yourself from Antichrist. You cannot dwell in peace with Antichrist. And you can't be a friend of Antichrist. It's just like in James 4, 4, it says, Ye adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whosoever will approve the world be a friend with the world and support the world is the enemy of God. Why, there's no way we can do that. I don't support the world. I just walk away. So, I walk away from the TV show. I walk away from seeing the evil that's being done. I can't, I can't judge the world, but I'm supposed to judge the church. If you think we're not supposed to judge the church, read 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul says that if anyone among you, a brother, is committing fornication, or is a drunkard, or is an extortioner, or is covetous, he lists a bunch of things in 1 Corinthians 5.11. If a brother is doing these things, don't keep company with him. Put him out of the church. Now, we don't have the power to put him out of a Baptist church or Church of Christ or Assembly of God or Word of Faith. We don't have the power ourselves to put him out. But we can certainly walk away from him. I've done that. I went to our Bible teacher. I heard about his girlfriend. He was a divorced man. I went to him, and I said, I've heard about this girlfriend. Well, he him hawed around and beat around the bush, and I finally said to him, are you having sexual intercourse with this woman? And he said, of course. And I was deeply grieved. I said, oh, you know the Bible as well as I do. I can't have anything to do with you. I can't come to your Bible class. And he said to me, that's right. He didn't care. It was terrible because I really, really cared about this man. But I couldn't stay with him. I couldn't come to his Bible class because he was having for, committing fornication while teaching our Bible class. Well, I don't care if he had been a man just a member of our Bible class, if he was doing it, I would have done the same thing. My cousin, who wasn't a church person, oh, she might have been a Methodist, I don't know, but she never went to church, and you never heard her speak of God or anything. But she told me this story. 
her neighbor invited her to a, a barbecue, to a, um, an outside, to a dinner at his home. In the afternoon, she dressed in blue jeans, which she thought was appropriate for a cookout. Turned out he was going to get married to his male lover. She told me, she said, I was horrified. I went to their house where a wedding was taking place and I was dressed in blue jeans. And I said, I wouldn't have been horrified. I would have fled. I would have fled that evil place. That's what you should have done, is run out of it. When you found out it was a wedding between homosexuals. I think my cousin did get born again before she died. I think I told her something one day and she paused and I think God reached her with the information. Well, what it was, I may as well tell you what it was. Her husband had died and she was going to decorate his grave. And I said, who are you trying to impress by doing this? Thurman is asleep. He won't know you're there. So just who are you trying to impress? Now, this was a cousin who usually you couldn't say anything to her without her exploding in anger. And everybody in the family always said, ooh, you have to be so careful around Donna Faye. She's so sensitive. But this time, she didn't explode in anger when I said, who are you trying to impress? Thurman is asleep. He can't see you there as you are decorating that grave. So just who is it that you're trying to impress? She got so quiet, and then she said, well, then it really doesn't matter where we're buried. And I said, that's right. See, I felt God spoke to her at that second, and she agreed with God. And when you agree with God, guess what? You're born again. And I had great hopes that she was born again at that instant, and she died shortly after that. That's what being born again is, agreeing with God. You're not going to go against these scriptures and be saved. You're not going to do it. I don't care if you have been baptized in water. I don't care if you go to church every Sunday. If you go against scriptures and, and you believe an opposite way from scripture, you are not a Christian. Christians have one thing. They believe the Word of God. They all believe the Word of God. All Christians. If you don't believe the Word of God, you're not a Christian. I don't care what you do. So you better consider it very carefully. This is Joan Boney speaking. Thank you for allowing me to speak with you today.